Welcome back to the Dynasty Digest, where we give you a consumable Dynasty perspective. I'm Jake. As always, I'm joined by Tim. But before we dive into this week's episode, hop into those comments down below and let us know which quarterback in the top five do you think is most likely to be outside of the top five after this coming season. But before we talk about our thoughts in some of these situations, we got to roll that intro. He has the hearts of a lot of fantasy players. I like it a lot, honestly. I, like, I'm, I'm in for Death, taxes, and the 2022 wide receiver class. I like what you were saying, Skylar. No, no player is completely untouchable. I think you guys really... I, had not, I have not really heard this yet. I listen to a lot of pods, and I have not heard this yet. Well done, gentlemen. I'm really impressed. Continuing with our trend about talking theory as part of these episodes as well tim has got some great theories that he wanted to bring to the squad this week i'm a little under the weather so i'm gonna let tim do most of the talking here this week but i'll still i'm still gonna interject as i can uh but tim what do you got for us this week yeah this week so we've gone kind of through the startup the valuation of players can i think that this week kind of talk about trading or like the plans of trading or kind of uh negotiation and kind of managing league activity the best as possible to Work to the best of your advantage. Now, the first thing you got to have is a plan. So, you got to identify what your what your process is for this league. Maybe how you're going to negotiate with your league mates or the types of players that you're looking to acquire based on where you're at in your life cycle. A big thing too for me, though, when making trades, is framing framing the trades or kind of describing it in the manner that you want these players to be presented in. For me, the big the big thing is let's say I'm looking to sell a running back to a running back needy team. I'll talk about like you know the benefits of said player, such as if let's say for whatever reason I'd be selling Derrick Henry. I wouldn't, but let's say I was selling Derrick Henry, I'd be like, look at the consistency he's had, how much he dominates targets, things like that, or rushes, not targets, things like that that make him more appealing, as well as what the market says about him. So maybe I'm trying to get, you know, a first and a second out of x player maybe henry's not the best option in this example but uh let's say i'm trying to get a first and second i say well if i look at x market or even um dlf trade finders things like that i can say hey these are recent trades i don't like using trade calculators to negotiate whenever i see them i'm pretty much like well this guy's just trying to make an argument but more or less it's just framing so just finding ways in which you can say hey I see this player as being X. I think he's going to finish as a top five back this year. I think he has the capability. That's a big thing is that like, if you're talking about players that have the, the chance of making it, but maybe you're not as, as confident and as in those players as you say you are. But if you present that option as, Hey, this guy's, you know, he's got a very, a very good path to being a top five running back where if you have a more slated or, or the more likely outcome is that he's a back end rb1 you might be able to squeeze a little bit more value out of that so i think that that's that's an approach that you can have when um approaching other managers trying to make deals as well as you can kind of work the other way i never like to talk negatively about players you're trying to trade for because it's really not in good faith and i think that's the number one thing for me is operate in good faith because it helps you build long-term relationships and you can be a lot more honest with other people or with your other managers in your leagues when it comes down to it when you have a good relationship. So always trade in good faith, but you can present the player that you want in such a manner that, hey, this guy that that's coming towards you will be more valuable or he'll offer you more solutions to the problems that you're having and maybe filling 
both a lineup position as well as an opportunity for a flex if that comes along that way. Yeah, I think the the best time to do that too is when when somebody's coming to you for one of your players or one of your assets and it's an asset that you do value over market, you know, just be upfront about that. Nobody likes to be the guy who wastes time with 54 counters back and forth and you never end up getting anything done. Just be honest, you know, I used to be the guy who I uh, wouldn't really tell you what I valued players at. And I still don't like it. I still don't like the guys who come to me and are like, what will it take for X? You know, I'm never going to give you an exact number if you do that. But I will say, oh, you want Nick Chubb. I still view him as a top 12 running back this year and probably next year. So, you know, you're looking at paying a pretty penny for him. And I'll just leave it at that because then you get to see what their opinion of a pretty penny is or their opinion of, oh, a top 12 running back for the next two years. And that can be used later down the line too, if you remember that. Um, so that's kind of, in my opinion, the best way to really go after that. But I also think it's really important to note that like, that's not always going to work. You know, there's going to be people who are just going to be, you're way too high on him. And that's just not a trade partner for you. Even if it may be a mutually beneficial trade on paper, you know, if they don't value the guys the same way that you do, you know, it's going to be hard to get a deal done sometimes without crazy pluses one way or another. Yeah, I think not wasting time is a huge thing, like you're saying, because if you're upfront or if you're if you're um, honest about what you're looking for or how you value players, it really helps condense negotiations down from like players you're not not even interested in moving. Where if they keep to uh, keep attempting at trying to get a player that you're not interested in moving, then it, it just will kind of sour the relationship for a while if they're not listening. But if you're very up, upfront and honest about it, when you talk about like what a guy might cost. I might tell you guys that I'm interested in. I might even tell you, I think he's worth X a number of firsts, but also not every first is created equal. And that's yep. one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to uh, keep trade cut. I, I really, we, one of the reasons we did this show is because then we can really kind of pick apart the things we, we don't agree with, with keep trade cut. And one of those things is that if you look at all the players in the rank, it doesn't ever tell you they're worth more than one first. So what actually happens is, if you just look at, at the, oh, it's a early 24 first, this guy's worth. Well, what does that mean? Like, is it a 105? Is it a 102? Is it a 106? Like, if we look at this this year's draft class, we know that there was a very big line of demarcation when it came to 101 versus the rest of the draft. Yep. And then it came down to what your preference was or your opinion was about Anthony Richardson. Because either you love Anthony Richardson or you don't. And he's your 102 or he's not. Or maybe he's your 101 or he's not. And that can kind of draw different conclusions when it comes to like trading for players. Like I think a lot of the receivers this year are probably like, um, I should say top receivers in the league are probably worth the one two in this year's draft. If your team is ready to compete, but in other, another drafts, one two might not be worth that much, or mm. it might be that it's, it's the receivers are worth what one two, a good one two is worth plus some. And I think, Understanding that when you're talking about what, what you're asking for a guy will matter because I recently actually traded for um, Tony Pollard and this guy is trying to tank. I have his first. He wants his first back. And I was like, I don't have really an, an, uh, an opinion about or not an opinion. I really don't have an interest in moving your first back to you for a 26 year old running back. It ended up being that I held firm and was able to move a different first for Pollard. Um, just it was part of the deal, I should say. But at the end of the day, I set that expectation that, hey, I'm not interested in moving your first because it's it's way more valuable than what you're trying to get back to me, especially with the risk profile of a 26-year-old Tony Pollard who doesn't have a long-term deal, things like that, where being open in my communication really set the, the line in the market. And I think that 
once again, if you're the first person to make an offer, a lot of the times you'll be able to have more of an influence on what the market actually is when it comes to trade negotiations. So being upfront and honest or forthright when it comes to making a, an actual good offer versus just a crappy one to start a conversation, that will probably do you more good in the long run. Yeah, I can tell you if you're one of the people in my leagues who sends me a trade offer that isn't even close and then you just, I instant decline and you just immediately follow up with, well, I had to try. No, you didn't. If you wanted to make a trade, we could have gotten something done, but now I don't like you. Now you're you're already gonna pay more for anybody that I have just because of things like that. Like it's wasting my time, it's wasting your time, and it's not it's never gonna be productive. Those trades are never gonna go through. That's the reason why you're like, well, I had to try. No, you didn't. You did not have to try. I promise you. You would have your life would have moved on just fine if you did not send me seven thirds for Tyreek Hill. We would have been okay. Yeah. And that's another thing too, with as the more that you build your relationships with your, with the people that you are in leagues with, Jake might respond to me. If I ever sent him that offer and that, that remark, he might be like, dude, that's, that's totally trash where he can be open and upfront and honest with me. And we might even laugh about it where if it was somebody else, they might take that super personally and not send you another offer for six months and be like, I'm not negotiating with Jake, blah, blah, blah. But if you've already had good and honest open communication and you've achieved offers before that have successfully turned into trades it just opens up so much more in future negotiation oh you're on you're muted just being willing to like have those conversations too and just be honest like that i mean that's how i got to where i am like in the fantasy space was just like having conversations with the people that I liked when, when I was in leagues with them and when I was, you know, trying to make trades with them. And that's, I gained a lot of respect that way of just being like an open, honest communicator in, in trading. It makes things so much easier and just like, it creates a level of goodwill almost with, with other people in the league, just because they know that you're not going to bullshit them. You're not going to be a dick to them if they send you something, but like, if a trade's not close, like you should know it's not close. Like you shouldn't also be the one taking offense to that. If, if you send an offer and you think it's close, but somebody comes back and they say it's not close, that doesn't necessarily reflect poorly on your trade offer. It may be a really good trade offer, but maybe they just value that guy way over market. So it's important to understand that, you know, just because somebody says something in a quote unquote negative manner to you as another manager in the league, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're being a dick to you. I, I love this so much because if you try to use universal trade values or player values, you're always going to find that they they don't work that way and you're going to get shot down and you're going to get, like you said, kind of stressed out or even like a little bit uh, disrespected because of it. When in reality, you have to have your own values. You have to have your own tiers. You have to have your own ranks because by doing that, you can operate inside and outside of markets, find the inefficiencies like we always talk about. But also you have to understand if you go through that process, developing your ranks, you know, finding the tiers, finding out who, who you think is undervalued and overvalued, they're doing the same thing. So it's okay that we differ. That's what creates trade markets. Yep, <laughs> like, exactly. And also you have to understand that players that have been acquired and put on other people's teams are there for a reason because they probably traded for them because they like them. There are other times with the ROI stuff, which once again, I understand the purpose of it, but. The value, the value of a trade is always that you're getting the player that you want versus another player that you're trying to flip. But it, it's an opportunity later on. Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so one of the things that I really want to kind of focus on with the thing that you said at the very beginning uh, right there, when you're building that trade, you know, 
you can look, especially on sleeper, it's really easy to look and see what that person spent to acquire that player. And as much as we can agree that the sunk cost fallacy should not be a thing, you should not be like just hung up on what you paid for a player. 90% of dynasty managers think that way. And it's still a very big thing. And there's a big reason why that affects everything from people in the stock market to selling cars to whatever it may be. You know, it's a very real thing. So you have to understand that if somebody overpaid for a player, you are likely going to have to overpay a little bit on whether that's your value or market to get that player off of their roster. You know, it's not always going to be no trade is always going to be a straight up value for value trade. You're, you're rarely going to find something where both managers in a lot of people's opinions are walking away with a completely even trade where nobody won in one way or another. And there's nothing wrong with winning a trade or even losing a trade. If you're getting the assets that you want, it's fine to lose a trade on paper. If it makes your team better, if it makes you more likely to walk out of the season with $400 in your pocket, do it. It doesn't necessarily matter if you gave up an extra second of value. Second is a 25% hit rate anyway. So, you know, you can lose a trade. You don't have to be the guy who like prides himself on always winning trades. You're, if that, if you are that guy, more than likely you hit a point in the league where nobody's going to want to trade with you because you just expect every trade to be over market and it's just never going to happen after a point. Yeah. And that's another thing about losing trades is that sometimes you might lose, lose on whatever the described value is at the current time to also manage relationships. It might be, okay, well, I don't really want to give up this 306. I'd rather give you 401. I think that's more adequate value, but here, take the 306 because what it'll do is it'll build goodwill towards a much bigger trade down the line. As well as you're talking about looking at league history. I think that's huge. And we've talked about trades during um, this, this session, but I also want to talk about league activity and kind of how to stimulate that as well. Sometimes, and how you can do that too is maybe you have a conversation with that manager about that trade. Like maybe it happened six months ago and you're like, you know, I see that you, you paid X, X and X, but maybe you just want to get on this, on this player. I'm, I can offer you the, this player and this pick. You can kind of wipe your hands clean, work from there. Or you could even talk about sometimes there's rivalries in, in leagues and be like, well, I see, um, I'm in a league where I, I joined as a, um, an orphan manager and someone's won three times in a row. And they always talk about their three peat. So then I'll have other conversations with other people in the league during trade discussions about, well, who's going to be the next person to make that three-peat so they can uh, match up with X player or X person that's talking about it. Or, hey, I'm trying to make this trade so I can get that three-peat or start my three-peat. Where, like, yeah, it's it, it's just fun in games. It's most likely never going to happen with any of the managers right. in the league to hit that three-peat. But, you know, you build a little bit of friendly uh, reminders or post stuff in, in league chat. Maybe even put players on the block once in a while where – it just kind of stimulates the league and you'll see actually a waterfall effect. If you make a trade and people are kind of excited about that trade or they're kind of, they're not sure what side to be on, or maybe some of it, maybe, maybe once again, maybe it looks like a loss for you. And then other people are a little bit more interested in trying to make trades with you. Cause it appears that, Oh, he lost that trade. Maybe he'll lose another one, but it ends up being that you actually didn't any lose anything. And people are just way more stimulated by what they've seen in the league the last you know, three, three days and they want to make their own moves and they're jealous because six trades have gone through and someone else needs to make a move with them to get something done. So they feel connected to the league. Yeah. Even something as simple as putting players on the trade block, like you can't put a couple players on the trade block without at least two other managers in your league following suit. So, you know, it, it stimulates the league activity that way as well. And sometimes, you know, you, you put out, Hey, 
Jamar Chase on the block when really you're not trying to move Jamar Chase, but you're trying to see, you're trying to figure out where other people are valuing him currently. You're trying to see where other people's values are on other players. Because if somebody sends you a trade offer, if you put Jamar Chase on the block and somebody sends you Christian Watson in a 24 first, well, now I know I can't go buy Christian Watson off of that manager because I know he's valuing him well over market. Whereas if somebody sends me like, I don't know, maybe a trade offer that I'm not super interested in, but like Christian McCaffrey and two first it's like okay well i don't want to take that trade because i don't want to move jamar chase but now i know that you're not over you're not valuing christian mccaffrey that high so i can use that information to make a different offer for mccaffrey and see if there's something there so you know it's a way to kind of get inside of people's minds and just get them thinking and understanding their values if you understand the values of your other managers in the league it makes negotiating with them a million times easier and one of the last things I want to talk about with negotiation is I like to talk about the, Tro the Trojan horse trade, where you make an offer initially for one player, which, yeah, you'd be happy if it goes through, but maybe they end up not wanting to move said player. But your real targets may be someone deep, deep on their bench. And you never want to go straight up, hey, I want X player for this pick, because then they're like, okay, so this person is their target. Now I can maybe charge a little bit more. Maybe I got to rethink the situation and be like, why does he want this guy? Where if he's kind of buried in a trade and it ends up being like, okay, well, instead of going for Derrick Henry, Henry, let me go and get, I don't know, just another bench running back. Let me go get him instead just for a little bit of depth. And you ended that guy the whole time and you just got him from maybe market or below market because of the negotiations you've had on the on the larger player that just didn't end up happening or going through. They're like, well, we can do a consolation trade because... A lot of guys just not not in a guys and girls just want to trade, not in a bad way either, but they want yeah. to be involved in their league. They want to participate in the league they signed up for. And this is a way to do that. Yeah, I think every Michael Gallup or Deontay Johnson share that I've ever traded for has been exactly that, where it's like I made an offer for a higher, you know, a bigger name player, bigger value player on the team. And it's like, oh, well, I don't want to move that wide receiver, but how about these guys? And it's like, okay, we can work there. And exactly. It's just a way to get in and get negotiating. And that's 90% of the battle. You can't make a deal if you don't start the conversation and what, however you start it, you got to start it. Don't start it with a terrible trade offer. I already said that, but like, if you have a guy like a, you know, if you're, if you're talking like jumping tears here and you have like a Hollywood Brown that is your target, but you don't want to make an offer because you don't really know where they value Hollywood, but they have T Higgins. And for you, you know, that's like 15 spots of value that they're different. You make the offer for Higgins and you just see what happens. If you get T Higgins, awesome. If they counter back with Hollywood in a second for the guy that you were going to send, awesome. You know, then you know where their value is on both players. So it's it's really just getting your foot in the door. That's that's 90% of the battle. Yeah. And sometimes even like trade backs, like if we're looking at like rookie trades, you can say, hey, well, I have I have 206. I moved back to 212. If you were, were to throw in, let's say, AJ Dillon, it might be that AJ Dillon is worth a second on its own, but the way that it's presented as a trade-up, your your wording is kind of presenting him as being lower value to you, which in their mind may become lower value to them, which then may get the deal done. Not saying it's going to happen, but I've seen the negotiation tactic work, and I've seen trades go through that you kind of scratch your head afterwards. And you're like, how did that that happen? A lot of it has to just do with with the conversations you're having before you hit accept or for, before they hit accept before they hit, they hit counter, and that's very very important to me managing relationships and leagues is probably top three besides being able to set your lineup and know how to draft 100 you know it's a great way to manage those relationships 
by hopping in the JWB Discord and having some conversations with your fellow league mates. Because I feel like we can't go a single day without somebody like messaging in a different channel being like, hey, X guy who's also in here is in my league. What should I offer him for X player? And it's like, there's great ways to do it. And the JWB Discord is one of them. Shameless plug, not shameless at all. All right, Tim. Well, as, not and I just want to add on to that. When they ask those questions, a lot of the times we'll ask, what what do you know about the your league mate or how do they yep. feel about said player? And if you can come with better answers, it's much easier for us to give better answers to your question. Exactly. Shameless plug, not shameless at all. All right, Tim, on to our players for this week. You have a sell for once. It's been a while, I feel like. Yeah, I have a sell and... It works on last week's discussions when we talk about, you know, understanding contracts and the news and stuff like that. And Boyd's kind of the opposite. Who I'm going with this week is Tyler Boyd as myself. He's kind of the opposite because we look at contracts. We know that his contract's up there for this year. We know he's not going to resign with the Bengals. They just cannot afford him. Absolutely not. Cannot afford him. So we know he's going to go somewhere else. Half of his appeal on the marketplace is based on the fact that, oh, well, if Chase or Higgins are out, you know, Boyd's going to produce big time, but I disagree with that. Um, I'm going to go in those into those in a second, but he currently on KTC is wide receiver 67. He's my wide receiver 72 for dynasty. I understand he can, might produce better um, on a season basis, but once again, this is why I want to sell him now because if I, if he's perceived as a wide receiver three or four right now, and I can get better value out of him than when he moves teams next year and has at best a similar role, I feel like I'm winning. So on the market, he's worth a second than some players around him based on KTC ranks. Not saying you have to trade for these straight up, but guys to maybe pivot to and get some picks picks on top or maybe some uh, younger, later rookies. But like second, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Michael Thomas, Odell Beckham, DJ Chark, Izzy Bandicanda, Curtis Samuel, Michael Wilson. Now, the perception is that Boyd is so good to hold on to because if Chase or Higgins are out, Boyd is going to produce mad points, right? I don't believe you. So here's what I'm gonna I'm gonna show you a little bit with with and without without Chase. Excuse me, without Higgins, without them both, and you guys are gonna be a little bit blown away. So when Chase doesn't play in half PPR points, he averages six point seven eight or eight point oh eight. When uh, when Chase is out in full PPR, without Higgins, it's 8.09 in half PPR or 10.09 in full PPR. Without either, and so when I say without Chase or without Higgins, it's under 70% snaps, meaning that <clears throat> Chase or Higgins were out, so it could have been zero percent snaps or 70 or less. Now without either, meaning zero snaps for either one of them, 6.74 in half PPR and 10.74. So he's very touchdown dependent basically any time. And then in 28%, 28% of his points were scored in two games last year, which was 50. He had a 20 and a half and a 29 and a half. Without those big weeks, he averaged 8.3 points per game in full PPR, which was wide receiver 65. On the season, he was wide receiver 49 at 10.32. As well as since 20, or I'm sorry, uh, since 20, uh, is it 17? He has dropped from 15 points per game every season. He's diminished his returns down to 10.32 last year. So we continue to see his diminishing role, his diminishing production. And if he's still worth a second based on the fact that, oh, he might, 
he might do well when Chaser Chaser uh, Higgins are out. No, he actually does worse when they're out. So I and that I did every season back from when Chase was a rookie all the way back to when Higgins was uh, a rookie with or not a rookie but or yeah rookie with uh, Boyd. So every single game that they would have missed that Boyd was available uh, and Boyd produced, that's what we came out with. So uh, stat line without Chase. Two and a half receptions on 4.6 targets for 30.8 yards and 0.4 touchdowns. Without Higgins, four receptions, 5.53 targets, 44.9 yards, and 0.27 touchdowns. I don't think Boyd is safe. I don't think he has upside. I don't think it you have predictable upside even when the players that he's supposed to fill in for are out. And when he doesn't have huge games... He has very mediocre to below average games. I'm not sure how many wide receiver 65s you want to put in your flex or in your wide receiver line lineup if Chase or Higgins is out. I think that if you can get a second for Tyler Boyd, you're stealing, and I th- you should do it. Yeah, I don't really – you covered all of it. I, I've been saying to get rid of Tyler Boyd since about like 2020. 2018, 2019, I may have been the highest Tyler Boyd guy in the world, but it's been a sell for him forever, and his value just kind of retains. It trickles down a little bit every year, but like we really haven't seen the big drop-off yet. But there's some sizable pieces that you can pivot off to or even adding like a second or a third to him to tear up into a better player. Like There's just so many options to get out of Boyd at this point that I think you just you have to do it. Yeah, you, I, I like the tier-up option the best. I was just kind of more or less illustrating what's available or what's adjacent to him on the market. But I think it's a great idea to try to move him, move up to a different tier or different level wide receiver than just getting a pick. Just because that pick can be so... The variance on the pick is so much where it could be 201 or it could be 212. Big differences there in valuation where if you were able to tier up, you're getting a productive player that helps your lineup. Whereas if you hold them to like Chase or Higgins gets injured or something like that, what are you adding a third on top in terms of value you're getting a second and a third now like no it's not worth it and we've already seen that he really isn't becoming you know big man on campus when these guys are out yeah it's pretty it's a pretty clear sell there for for tyler boyd so i i like that idea speaking of ideas i've got a great one tim let's take the quarterback six in points per game last year upgrade his wide receiver room give him the best collection of talent he has ever had around him Upgrade his offensive coordinator so we actually can run a modern NFL offense. And then let's make him cheaper than ever. How's that sound? I think I'm in. I like this. Yeah, exactly. Um, Is it Gino? It sounds like Gino. It's not Gino, but (laughs) I can't be the only one who realizes how crazy this sounds. Yet that's exactly what the market is doing with Lamar Jackson. Clearly... You love, we all loved Lamar Jackson. We all know he's a solid fantasy football player. He's about as safe of a 20 point per game quarterback as you can get at this point in the year, even in a down season. But Burrow, Herbert, and Trevor Lawrence are all currently ranked ahead of him, where he is currently the quarterback seven in fantasy football on keep trade cut. Those three guys should not be ranked above him. There's no argument for it, in my opinion. Lamar is still one of the elite rushing quarterbacks in football. He had the third most rushing yards in football amongst quarterbacks last year, second most yards per game, and seventh most red zone carries amongst quarterbacks while essentially playing 11 games. I know he technically played 12, but he played like four snaps. It's He played 11 games last year, and he was still one of the elite fantasy performers on the ground. And we cannot continue to keep ignoring his talents as a passer. He had the second highest true passer rating in football last year, which is QBR, but it takes out throwaways and drop passes. The dude is a damn good thrower of the football, 
and his pass catching room is the best it's ever been. There's really not an argument for that. Obviously, you have Mark Andrews, stud, everybody's favorite tight end this year, it seems like. Everybody's telling you to draft Mark Andrews. But they added Zay Flowers through the draft. They added Odell Beckham, regardless of what he may be. What current Odell Beckham Jr. is is probably better than what Devin DuVernay ever was. And then you have Rashad Bateman, who's going to be back and healthy this year, hopefully, and make it through a season. Plus, you have a healthy J.K. Dobbins, you know, two years off the ACL. He's going to be looking pretty good. The offensive line is looking like it's back in order. Plus, again, you get the upgrade to a modern NFL offense that we've seen throw the ball a lot more effectively and efficiently than any offense that's ever been run by Greg Roman. You know, his price isn't egregiously bad at quarterback seven. Like, it could be way worse. But... There's no argument for, in my opinion, you can't argue Burrow, Herbert, or Lawrence over him. They do not possess the rushing upside, and we've seen that that is the single most important factor to fantasy quarterbacks. When guys like Aaron Rodgers don't run, when you look at the years where Aaron Rodgers just ran like 400 yards and got to the end zone like five times, he was a perpetual top three quarterback. When you look at, you know, even Herbert, Herbert last year, his fantasy performance was so minuscule because he did not run as much because he had broken ribs. It's, it's a very clear spectrum that rushing is one of the most important factors for the quarterbacks. And Lamar is going to run infinitely more than Joe Burrow is. He's going to run more than Trevor Lawrence is. He's going to run more than Herbert is. And he are, honestly has the ability as a passer to match the production of at least Trevor Lawrence, unless he's throwing like, you know, the 700 times a game that Herbert may throw this year, or, you know, he's not throwing to, you know, Jamar Chase and T Higgins like Burrow is. We just saw Burrow do that last year. And Lamar, who had a very down year by most people's accounts, basically matched him in points per game. It was a very minuscule difference. So for me, there's no ceiling like Lamar Jackson's that you can buy for his current cost. I would take any of the three quarterbacks that I mentioned, Burrow, Herbert, or Lawrence, and I would, if I can get any significant plus, even just a second round pick on top of any of those players for Lamar Jackson, you are going to walk out of that trade happy. You are going to plug Lamar into your lineup every single week, take your 20 some points and just call it a day. And you're going to be very happy on the weeks that he has 40 and the weeks where he has 17, you're going to be like, I still got 17 points. Who else did I got? So for me, just buy Lamar Jackson. I don't have anything else to say. Tim, what are your thoughts on my thoughts? I like all the quarterbacks that you listed. So I think it's more or less going to be preference in that situation. But I would say this, if you can move either one of, or I should say any of those, because there were more than two of those quarterbacks for Lamar, I would rather get a player on top than get the second round pick. I think I'd rather do some sort of upgrade in a, situ in a different situation where maybe I'm upgrading my tight end from one tight end to another or upgrading my flex from one flex to another. Because if I have these players, I'm most likely already being, being in a position to compete. So I'd rather improve my chances of competing than getting myself a second round pick, which I love picks. I'm probably one of the people in the entire space that likes picks. Like, no, like very few, few people probably like picks more than I do. But I also understand when it comes to windows that at some point you have to start exploiting those windows. Otherwise, you are just losing value because you're not maximizing the production that you have on your roster. But yeah, I like all these all these quarterbacks, and I think they're interchangeable to um, a point of preference. But like you said, when it comes to rushing, nobody really does it better at this point besides maybe Hurts. Yeah, you have Hurts, Justin Fields are really the only two guys are going to match the rushing production. Josh Allen may, you know, have another sneaky 10 touchdown season and his I forgot about Fields like for that. a second. But um even then, like Fields is just behind Lamar. So like even if you, you know, want to 
you could probably make that offer right now. And I think there's a lot of people who would take it where if you have Justin Fields on your roster, but you want some more stability at the quarterback position, just because there is as much as I love Justin Fields, a little bit of concern about him still maybe flip him for Lamar, get a little bit of a plus on top. And, you know, you get in theory, the better ceiling um, and you get more stability with it just because, you know, Lamar just signed one of the biggest contracts of all time. But, you know, a second round pick is kind of like the fallback for me uh, of what I would take like pre this was pre Lamar getting his extension anyway, but I saw him moved for Lawrence in a first if, you know, or, you know, like there was a way or Lawrence was being moved for Lamar in a first. Let me reflip that. Like people were not valuing Lamar at what he should be. So we're not at the best sell point that we've probably ever had, but it's as good as like the market clearly has not shifted a ton since the contract happened. So there's still plenty of value to exploit here. Agreed. Alrighty, everyone. Thank you all for tuning in. As always, like we mentioned earlier, make sure you hop in our Discord and have some conversations with us there. If you like the conversations, but you want a little bit more access to the JWB team and to our thoughts on your teams, make sure you join the Patreon. Uh, the various different tiers there give you different uh, benefits. So just pick the one that works best for you and we will make sure that you guys feel like you are getting your money's worth. You can find me on Twitter at Perry underscore FF. You can find Timmy at nubs with two N's and two B's, as well as all things JWB at JWB underscore FF. And until next time.